Good job. Good job, guys. So a couple things. Um, who's rooting for Taylor Swift today? Okay. So I, I hear she is an excellent quarterback. So you're either going to jump on a bandwagon or you're going to or just go, go with the Bay Area. I wore a shirt color today that represented all teams. <laughs> Very intentional. Um, so as Aubrey and Matt mentioned, Easter is early this year. Um, Easter is a funny holiday that falls on a lunar calendar. And so Easter is on March 31st, as they mentioned. And so as you bring candy, just to get everybody's attention, and if I could get your attention, please, if you could take this thing out, this is called a phone. If you're over the age of 55, there's a part of the phone that's called silence, okay? <laughs> you can push silence. Okay, like if, if a telemarketer wants to call you on Sunday or if your friend Melba next door wants to talk to you about how demonic she thinks Taylor Swift is, <laughs> you, can, um, you can silence your phone. You don't have to answer her call while you're at church, okay? It's okay. Um, one of my favorite memories of someone over 55 in one of our church services, um, her ringtone, as loud as possible, played the, um, the classic spiritual song by um, the theologian Justin Timberlake, <laughs> Bringing Sexy Back. And so, and let me just tell you, that sexy wasn't coming back. When it, when it rang. So, so it's okay to silence your phone. And if you could, please silence your phone. That'd be awesome. And then if you could limit moving around, that'd be great too. I know there's a lot of you here today and we are so um, thankful for your patience as we've had our kids in our service for um, the last about two months now. And um, downstairs where our kids wing is, we have um, all new everything down there. And so this week, flooring is getting laid downstairs and we, we're like 90% sure that we will have kids church next Sunday. And so it's super exciting. And if, if you could do me a favor, you could pay attention to, if you've registered your email, your phone number, if you could pay attention to emails and text from Free Church this week, or if you follow social media, um, we probably, like 95% chance, again, we'll need some help setting back up our kids wing for next week, um, and we'll need to be getting a lot of equipment and furniture for down there, so we're going to make do with what we have the next couple of weeks, so please Pay attention and come and help if it is needed, because it's going to be needed really soon. And want to mention to you as well that at our downtown location that is on Ferry and Liberty, that we have this amazing kids space there. Um, we, we have an amazing big kids room to start with, and we can grow from there. And I know Ryan mentioned it, and I think that Matt did as well, but we just had this amazing worship service last night. We have two more of those uh, just worship services coming up um, this next Saturday and then the following Saturday, the 23rd. And so um, we have some in-house worship leaders, some guest worship leaders that are going to be leading us in worship and just come and that we're just worshiping. That's it. But on March 3rd is when we're going to be starting um, our normal downtown services. We'll have church service on Saturday at 6 and then the same service here Sunday at 10. We'll have kids at both. And during February, March, that's when church always starts to fill up. And so if you could, um, as we prepare to launch Saturday night with normal services, we, we need um, at least a third of you to make that your home. So if you could start saying, hey, I'm going to start going Saturday instead, uh, we could use that to make some space and to um, continue to reach our city, both downtown and in South Salem. So those are some things I want you to know. Today, we're starting a series. We've been delaying the start of this series since January the 7th. 
But we're doing a series on the book of 1 Corinthians. And if you've ever read 1 Corinthians before, you know um, it, is, it is a very important book for children to read, right? It's a really good book to have um, kids in the service for because 1 Corinthians touches on just really light topics that are just kind of fluffy and nice and happy and no big deal at all. Um, so what we're doing today is we're going to intro 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to dig really deep because 1 Corinthians goes, goes really hard, really fast. It goes a long ways into some very deep things that we're going to be discussing. And so with that being said, how many of you are from Gen Z? If you're Gen Z, raise your hand as high as you can. If you're Gen Z, raise your hand. I think that means you're like under, under the age of like 25, you're Gen Z. I've learned, so the millennial generation did not have any cool words, no cool phrases. Um, the, the older, older generation X had some cool phrases. The older generation X would be like people in the like mid to late 80s. I was watching a, a throwback news story online a couple of days ago about kids at like a Minneapolis mall in the 1980s describing to all the old people what totally tubular meant, what radical meant, like uh, all of these 80s phrases. Uh, and so how many of you, you grew up in that era, right? Like Jimmy, that was you. Don, that was you. I know you guys, you, you rolled hard in the 1980s, right? Gen, Gen X at its prime. But Gen Z has really outdone itself. Um, Gen Z has some really great phrases, some really great things. I was with one of my kids in the car the other day, and even though there were two girls in the car hanging out, they kept calling each other bruh. And I was like, I thought that was for guys. I thought you were saying bro, but apparently bruh just means anybody. <laughs> and so Gen Z's done a great job. I've learned that if you have skills with the ladies, if you're a guy, that's called riz. Did you know that? And, and I've just discovered, I was asking some Gen Z as an old man, I'm like, tell me about this riz. What does it mean? And they said it means that you have charisma. And I'm like, that's so lame. That's really stupid. Just say you've got game. Just say, you don't have to say you got riz. That's, that's weird. That sounds kind of, it just sounds strange. Um, so Gen Z has these different phrases for, for these different things. And um, my daughter, for some reason, like really good at all these phrases. And, and I, I learn a lot from her. And even though my son's not a whole lot older, like, there's a whole new vocabulary with those younger than my son, and I'm learning it. And one thing that, that I didn't know, being just an, a naive man in my 40s, is that spill the tea actually means gossip. Did you guys know this? So, so if you're going to gossip, if you're going to talk about someone else, it's, it's actually called like spill the tea. Why it's called spill the tea, I don't know. But when you sit down with Melba, when you go home after church today, as you're preparing to watch... Um, Taylor Swift and an Illuminati ritual at the Super Bowl, <laughs> you're, you're going to be like, spill the tea about Taylor, Melba. And she'll be like, let me tell you what I watched on Facebook last night. And it'll be an exciting conversation last night um, over a serious theological discussion at Dairy Queen. My friend Alex and Caleb and uh, Dakota and I had a real serious, serious conversation about the end times. Right, guys? Serious stuff. Uh, we spilt the tea, as it were. We spilt the blizzard at Dairy Queen. It didn't spill. It just sat upside down. So I want to give you a little bit of history on um, 1 Corinthians. But before I do, I actually remember why I started talking about Easter to begin with. 
And if you know this is all just a ploy to get your attention, okay? Because you're about to dig into 1 Corinthians. I want to share one more thing about Easter, and this is why we started. Um, peeps are not for human consumption, okay? So if you're thinking about bringing candy for Easter, if you bring peeps, you're not in the fold any longer, okay? Peeps are not for human consumption. Peeps are, have probably some seriously concerning ingredients. Um, some of my Russian friends, are there peeps in Russia? Do you know what those are? Peeps? Okay. They don't know. Thank God. You don't need to know, all right? Um, my, Camilla, I saw you here from, is there peeps in Brazil? No idea. So there's not peeps in Brazil. She would know. So peeps are, so you guys know this marshmallow, um, can, like marshmallow coated candy with cocaine on the inside. And they look mostly like chicks, baby chickens, but also bunnies. Um, do not be deceived by uh, Americans and eat those. They're, they're not good. Peeps are no good. Um, do you like Sapes? Hey, Sadie, Sadie, do you like peeps? Do you know what they are? Okay, do you like them? She likes peeps. <laughs> Would you pray for her? Let's extend our hands. That's really disgusting, Sadie. All right, so what do you know about your city? What city are you from and what do you know about it? What do you know about the history of your city? There's things to know and I want to talk about the history of this city of Corinth. If you were to, and not now because your phones are put away, but after the service, if you were to look up the city of Corinth in Greece and look at modern pictures, let me tell you, this is absolutely a place you would want to live. It is beautiful. It is a beautiful city um, now accompanied by beautiful canals. And I, I want to talk a little bit about this city of Corinth. Sometimes Corinth gets a worse rap than it should. And then other times it, it, it really does get a bad rap and, and it's legitimate. So around the year 50 AD, so about 20 years, 17-ish years from the resurrection of Jesus, around the year 50 AD, there's a man by the name of the Apostle Paul he is on his second missionary journey. He is in Greece. He is in the city of Athens, and he heads about 60 miles to the south to the city of Corinth. And Corinth is an ancient city. How many of you have ever seen the movie or read the graphic novel 300 before? Seen the movie 300, where that's where they say, this is Sparta, and then the guy kicks the other guy into the hole, and um, King Xerxes is like a giant with no hair on his body. Have you seen the movie 300? So Corinth was actually a city that was aligned with Sparta. And so Corinth and Sparta fought together. This was an ancient historical city, and it was aligned against Persia with the city of Sparta. But the Roman Empire, as the Roman Empire was growing and was overtaking the Greek Empire, the city of Corinth was absolutely destroyed in 146 B.C. So 146 B.C., the city is completely destroyed. And it would be rebuilt about 200 years later by a man you may have heard of named Julius Caesar. So Julius Caesar, in the year 44 B.C., so about 40 years before the birth of Jesus, he rebuilds this city of Corinth and makes Corinth an official Roman colony. 
And so by the year 27 BC, within about 15 years, Corinth grows exponentially and Corinth becomes the capital city of the region. And by the time Paul gets there in 50 AD, Corinth is the largest city in population in the, what we call now the nation of Greece. And the city of Corinth, it lied on an isthmus in Greece. Do you know what an isthmus is? Anybody know? There's a picture of a map and I'll show you what an isthmus is. Uh, An isthmus is basically a a narrow land bridge. You can see it right to the east. You see the city of Athens, and there's this little narrow land bridge that connects the northern part of Greece with the southern part of Greece, and Corinth is right there sitting on a bridge that's made by land, which was made by God. And this is an incredibly narrow land bridge. At its narrowest point, it's under three miles long. And so on each side of this isthmus, there is a very prominent um, port that is there for shipping. And we've got right here between the Aegean and the Mediterranean Sea. How many of you, the Mediterranean Sea seems very appealing right now in February? I would love to be on the Mediterranean Sea right now or on the Aegean Sea. And so this city was right in between these two seas. There was a paved road that went from one port to the other. And so different goods from ships would be transported over this paved road, and they would actually transport ships themselves on this paved road because there was no canal. People would literally push and pull ships across the road. How many of you are that strong to pull that much weight? And so this is what they do. They'd move ships over the land, and it wouldn't be till centuries and centuries and centuries later that a canal would actually be built just within the last 150 years. And so this dynamic of the city, it made the city incredibly wealthy. This was a, a large center of trade, but with that wealth came all sorts of crime and issues. Wherever there's wealth in our modern world, there is um, you know, prostitution and drug trade and organized crime. And in this particular city, prostitution, which was accepted by the Greek culture, was this enormous deal. Um, there were upwards of a thousand prostitutes that served at the temple of a pagan god. We don't know if that was before Paul arrived or if that was when Paul arrived. Either way, this city was specifically known for a specific kind of prostitute, and they would actually use this word Corinth as a derogatory term to talk about certain types of people, that they would be a Corinthian. And so in this Roman uh, colony within this Greek culture, there's also a lot of different religions that are there. They they worship the Greek pantheon here in Corinth, but since it is now a Roman colony, there is also an Egyptian influence in the city. And in this city, they also worship the Egyptian god Isis. And around this time, there was this mystery cult to the god Mithras, which was also worshipped in this ancient city of Greece. And so we've got Roman gods, Egyptian gods, mystery cult religious gods, but then we also have Judaism. Ancient texts show that there was actually a good number of Jews who lived in Corinth. And the reason that they lived in Corinth is because the Jews had been dispersed throughout the known world for about 500 years. Most recently, the Roman emperor had expelled all Jews from the city of Rome by the emperor Claudius about a year before Paul arrives. And so before Paul gets there, around 50 uh, or around 49 AD, all these Jews 
come and move to the city because they've been kicked out of Rome. And so this is a major cosmopolitan city. And this is the perfect setting to preach the gospel. This is the perfect setting for Paul to establish a church. And you might say, well, why is that? It's because there were all sorts of people, tens and tens of thousands of people in this city who did not know Jesus Christ. They knew nothing of him. And what a wonderful opportunity to share good news with people who have been lost in darkness and bad news. This is a place where if a church could be established, people would come in and out of this city, in and out of the city, in and out of ships, off ships, on ships, going to and fro into Asia, into Europe, into Africa, into the Near East, and they would be able to spread the gospel from this city. And so cities are important in God's plan of salvation because God uses cities to disperse people, to reach people for Christ. And you might say, well, Salem, Oregon is an insignificant city. It, it's actually not because we're, we're the capital of this state that lies right on the west coast of the United States of America where there is extreme influence that takes place from our government and from the people just in this small city alone. Your city matters and impacts a region and impacts a nation. And so we read of Paul arriving here in Acts chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Acts 18? If you're watching online, welcome. All the verses are going to be on the screen for you to read. If you're in-house, most of these verses will be up uh, here. You can read along with me as well. So Acts 18, verse 1. It says, after this, the events in Athens, you can read in Acts 17. But after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Paul found a Jew named Aquila. Now, Aquila is a, a man. There's a Jewish man named Aquila who is here in the city of Corinth that Paul meets. It says that Aquila was a native of Pontus. He recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So here we're, we're right here in history. We know this happened. This Jewish couple was forced to leave Italy, forced to leave Rome. They end up here, not by chance, not by coincidence. They end up here at God's will in the city of Corinth. And they are there, Priscilla, her husband, Aquila, and they're in the city of Corinth. And it says, Paul went to see them. They would become lifelong friends from this point forward. Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul. Because Paul was the same trade as Aquila and Priscilla, Paul stayed with them and he worked with them because they were tent makers by trade. These guys literally made tents. This is how they made a living. So throughout Paul's ministry, he's supported by the churches, but he also supplements that support with the work he does in building tents. And so they're working together. There may have been some sort of a tent makers guild. We don't know, but they're working together. They're living in vicinity together, probably in the same home. And they're doing, we're going to see here in a minute, ministry together. It says, Paul reasoned in the Jewish synagogues every Sabbath day. And Paul tried to persuade Jews and Greeks that Jesus was the Messiah. And if you read through the book of Acts, this is what Paul does every time. He goes into a city. He looks for Jews. He looks for a Jewish synagogue. He shows up in the synagogue. And as they're reading the scriptures, he says, oh, this is actually all about Jesus of Nazareth, who at this point, 20 years ago, Rome and Israel crucified. He rose from the dead. 
He ascended to the Father in heaven. He offers salvation to Jews, Greeks, barbarians, Romans, all Gentiles. He offers salvation by grace through faith in his life, death, and his resurrection. And so this is his method of evangelism. He starts with the Jews. It doesn't always go well with the Jews, but it's always where he starts. And Aquila and Priscilla, they're here at this time. Here's something we don't know about them. We don't know if they're Christians at this point. It's implied, it's suggested, you could say it's pretty clear they were Christians already at this point, but we really don't know. We know there were some Christians in Rome where they left at this time, and here they are in Corinth. Paul partners up with them, and at some point, either before or after Paul gets there, Aquila and Priscilla receive Jesus as the Christ and are saved by his grace through faith. And so in Acts 18, verse 5 through 8, read along with me to yourself. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, that's Paul's partners, Silas, Timothy, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when the Jews opposed and reviled Paul, Paul shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. So let's pause for several reasons, okay? One reason to pause is this. Jesus said, if you go somewhere and they don't receive your peace, shake the dust off of your sandals and leave and basically tell them your, your blood's on your own hands. I, I can't do anything about this. Here, Paul does the same thing. This time he shakes out his garments and says, guys, I, I'm, I'm washing my hands clean. I've preached the gospel. You're not receptive to it. You're not listening to it. I'm leaving and I'm going to go right next door. He literally goes next door. So he moves from the synagogue to the house next door. It's like, I'm going to the Gentiles 10 feet away. To a man named, how would you pronounce this? I, there's, there's several pregnant women here today. I know that at least one of you is having a boy. And I know, um, Delaney, that you've already picked a name. But might I suggest Titius? <laughs> Titius? Titius? How, how do you say it? Titius? Yeah. Titius. <laughs> Titius' house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, again, not very offensive, not too teasable. Crispus, it's a good name. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. The work in the synagogue was not in vain. The work in the synagogue was not in vain. Literally, the ruler of the synagogue gets saved. The interesting thing is it took Paul leaving the synagogue for the ruler of the synagogue to find Jesus Christ. And so the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, his entire household receives Jesus Christ. And it says many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, they believed and were, what's that word? They were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. Every time in the book of Acts, people don't wait until they're ready to be baptized. 
When I talk with people about being baptized, I'm not ready to be baptized. Have you put faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, you're ready. But my life's not in order. Neither is mine, and I was baptized. But I'm not perfect. Neither will I ever be, and I was baptized. Baptism is what we do when we put our faith in Jesus to show that it's not us that saves us. It's Jesus who saves us. And so they were believed, and they immediately were baptized. Paul does not give up when he faces opposition in the synagogue. People believed in Jesus, and on this year, 50 AD, this Corinthian church was born. And so we'll continue here, a couple more verses. Verse 9 says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God amongst the Corinthians. How, a year and six months. How many months is that? Good job at math, guys. 18 months. 18 months Paul stays here in the city of Corinth. And God tells him, Paul, I know there's persecution God actually warns Paul in this vision, there's going to be some worse persecution, but you keep on preaching, keep on teaching, don't give up, ride waves, roll with punches, I have more. Paul is told, I am going to use you to reach these people. Though there's opposition from the Jews and there's more opposition to come, God tells him to keep going, and he does. He stays in this incredibly important city for the second longest period. He stays in a city specifically on a missionary journey. The, the next one was Ephesus for three years. But he's there building this church for a year and a half. Verse 12, this the last we'll read in Acts. It says, but when Galio was proconsul of Achai, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. This is what God was preparing him for. They, they united together to attack Paul. And they brought him before the Roman tribunal. And this is what they said about Paul. They said, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. The Jewish people in this city, like all cities, for the most part, did not believe that Jesus was the Christ they didn't understand that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and to make the law possible through his life, death, resurrection, and the power and coming of the Holy Spirit. And so they're like, he's trying to mess up our religion. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said, how many of you, God's ever stopped you from opening your mouth before? Here, for some reason, Luke decides it's very important to write, Paul started to speak, but was immediately interrupted, and, and thank God he was. Because Galileo, the proconsul of Achai, he said to the Jews, if it was a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since this is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, you guys deal with it. I refuse to be a judge of these things. Um, this guy, Galileo, he was like, I'm not a Jewish rabbi. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a Sadducee. It's not my job to, to weigh on religious things. You guys take care of your own religious things. And so Galileo drove the Jewish people from the tribunal council 
And they, it doesn't say here, Luke, Luke doesn't specify who they are. It's almost certainly the Jews. So they, the Jews, they seized a man named Sosthenes. And this is the last name we'll land on today. Um, pregnant women. Sosthenes is a good name. You can call him Saucy for short. Um, or like if you want to go real abbreviated, you just call him Knees, Sosthenes, like Knees, or whatever you choose. Sosthenes. They, along with the Jews, they seized Sosthenes, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Like, it's not my problem. So the Jews are so mad. And we have, again, we weren't there. We have no context for who Sosthenes is. It says he was the ruler of the synagogue, but you're like, wait a minute. I thought Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. Most likely what this means is Crispus finds Christ. Sosthenes takes his place as ruler of the synagogue. Sosthenes finds Christ. And now the Jews are mad. Both of their leaders have been converted to Jesus. And so they beat Sosthenes up and Galileo pays no attention. So the work is going really well in Corinth. But you see, this guy Sosthenes, he's going to show up in, in the last verse we're going to read today, or the last passage. And Sosthenes sits down with Paul and he writes a letter we're going to talk about in just a second. So during his stay... Paul would write, while he was in Corinth, he would write the books of First and Second Thessalonians. And during that time, and sometime after the 18 months were up, Paul would eventually leave the city. He would go to Antioch, where he'd lived before. He would go to Jerusalem. He would then leave Jerusalem and go on his third missionary journey. He would go check in on all the churches in Asia he had already found. And he would end up in a city known as Ephesus. This is the same Ephesus where Mary, the mother of Jesus, would live. This is the same Ephesus where John, the apostle, would live. This is the Ephesus that Paul would write the letter Ephesians to. And Paul stays with his friends, Aquila and Priscilla, who would become pastors of a church in Ephesus. He would stay with them for three years. And while he is there in Ephesus during those three years, Paul is going to write a letter to the church that he loved and he founded in the city of Corinth. And so he's there. He writes a letter. And in this letter, um, he starts to address some issues. And actually, I just misspoke. The, the letter I'm going to talk about now is actually not the first Corinthians we're going to be studying. Uh, let me rephrase this. In Ephesus, he, he writes the real first Corinthians. The first Corinthians in your Bible is actually second Corinthians. We don't have the first. So he writes this first letter, the first letter to Corinth, because he hears that there is um, some serious sexual immorality taking place back in Corinth. And so he writes the letter. He sends it off. And we find out as we're reading through Paul's other letters that they get the letter and someone goes from Corinth and travels to Ephesus. It's like, excuse me, Paul, they got your letter and, and they don't understand it. There's confusion. They misunderstand the letter you wrote them. And, and by the way, let me spill the tea a little bit, Paul. Not only do they not understand the first letter, not only are they that dumb, basically, they've got some serious issues surrounding division within their church. 
There's some serious, serious sexual immorality going on. Like, how serious? We'll find out, like, real serious stuff. This church that you left, Paul, not only is there division and some serious sin, like, these guys are now super arrogant over how they use spiritual gifts. And so Paul's probably thinking, okay, let these, my church, it's not good. He's like my kids. So he waits on it, and then someone sends a letter. Now, they don't just get to send a letter, and it shows up the next day like they sent a letter. It's got to go overseas. It's, it's got to go. It's going to take probably weeks for this letter to get there, if not longer. And in this letter Paul gets, the church spills the tea again. They start expressing confusion in regard to marriage and divorce. Should we get married? Should we get divorced? If we get divorced, should we get remarried? We don't know, Paul. Tell us. Somebody else writes a letter. Paul, did you know that Melba, it's, it's the great, 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 great grandmother, the one that wants to talk to you about Taylor Swift and the Illuminati today. Did you know that Melba, she told me about some serious pagan religious participation going on down in the church in Corinth. Did you know? Because I'm going to spill the tea. And then they spill the tea about something else. Whoa, crazy spiritual gifts going on here. Tongues of wagon all over the place. Like, Things are happening, we don't understand, it's confusing, and everybody's just all in it for themselves. And by the way, P.S., Paul, would you also clarify all things we know about the end times? Can you clarify to us what it means that we'll be resurrected from the dead one day? And Paul's like, I got this. I'm going to write a letter in response. Saucy, come over. Let's write this letter. Thank you. Knees, come sit down next to me. And they sauce the knees, and Paul, they start writing and this is what we're going to study for the next three months. First Corinthians is actually, remember, it's actually Second Corinthians. And so Paul starts to write, there's division, there's conflict, there's some serious sexual sin happening. You guys are real confused about marriage. You've got some serious issues in regard to Christian liberty and conscience and freedom Spiritual gifts, you're really screwed up here. Um, the end times, let me clarify some things. Let's talk about the resurrection of the dead. Also, let's talk about giving, and um, we'll, we'll make it end happy, even though it's a real rough letter. We'll talk about love to make it all happy at the end. And so as we close today, we're going to read Paul's introduction to his letter, okay? Here's his introduction. Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, Saucy, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. He hasn't written really anything, and he's already written a lot about what he's going to talk about. You guys are called to holiness. God saved you by grace. Your works are not going to make up for your sin. Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection made up for your sins. The Spirit of God living within you is supposed to be sanctifying you, making you more and more like Jesus, making you more and more holy like Jesus. You guys, you're called to holiness. Without holiness, it's impossible to see God. You guys are becoming saints. You are saints. You will be saints. He's like, guys, you need to live in a state of holiness. And then he says the last word in that green. He says, together. Holiness means unity. You're brothers and sisters. You've got to do this together. And so verse 2, so, yeah, verse 2, it says, you're called to be saints together with all those 
who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I know your churches might be a little different, but your brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm writing this to everybody. And he says this in verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, he says. How many of you believe that? God's faithful. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the introduction. I'm gonna ask Ryan to come up, close us in a song, but pay attention. Here's what I want you to know about this book that we're about to dive into, 1 Corinthians, which is actually 2 Corinthians. It's this. How many of you think our world is in good shape right now? Is the world in good shape? It's not. We live in a world radically similar to the Roman Empire. The United States of America is radically similar to the Roman Empire. The Western world is radically similar to the Greek, to the Roman Empire, to the very world that Paul was bringing the gospel We live in almost the same world. There's nothing new under the sun, King Solomon says. History has a tendency of repeating itself. Israel lived the same thing over and over and over again like it was Groundhog's Day, not understanding that they were falling into the same trap again and again and again and again. And here we find ourselves in the very same traps. So in this world, which is so much like the city of Corinth, this is a world filled with fill in the blank. A world filled with fill in the blank. We need grace and peace. This world needs grace and peace. As Christians, we bring, we're bringers of grace and peace. You might say, whoa, pastor, if the world is real tough like Corinth, then the world needs truth and justice. Yeah, it does. Truth and justice the world needs. The world also needs grace and peace. Grace and truth are, are, are very close friends, and they walk a fine line together. You say, well, pastor, we should just accept everything. Grace to all. No, God doesn't accept everything. There's sin. Well, we should just come down hard on the truth and, and we should go out and if people don't convert, we should. No, no, no. Whoa, that's, that's the wrong religion, guys. It's, it's grace and truth. It's speaking the truth and love. Is there a time to be harsh? Yes, but every time in scriptures where things are harsh in the New Testament, the harshness is actually always at religious people. The harshness is actually always at the church. And so in the church, we need to speak the truth. And sometimes the truth is harsh because we're called to live different than the world. And so many of us are obsessed with living just like the world. And so we have to speak the truth and we have to offer grace. We have to seek justice, but we need to act in love. It's both and. It's and both. 
So when we bring grace and peace, it has to be grounded in truth. It has to be founded in love. Because as Paul said, what our job, what our goal is, it's to call people to the fellowship of God's Son. It's to call people into the relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ, who lived for them a life free of sin, who died for them for all their sins, and who rose again to give them new life of freedom from sin. And so we're going to talk a lot about the world in this series, but we're also going to talk a lot about the church. Because in today's church, in our church, in this church, we are facing the same troubles that the church in Corinth faced. There's one specific one in here I really hope we're not facing, but we'll get to it. And if we are, there's repentance and grace and truth in prison time. <laughs> but we need, in, in today's church, in this church, we need grace and peace. As a church, we have to address certain issues. We have to tackle these issues that are facing the world. We have to tackle these issues that are facing the church. And we have to do it with boldness. We have to do it with truth. But if there isn't grace and there isn't peace, what's the point? If it's just boldness and truth without grace and peace, I, there's just no point. Because then we're hopeless. If there's no grace, we have no hope. If there isn't peace with God through Jesus Christ, talking about the truth is absolutely pointless. You see, if all we did was beat sin on the head without seeing that Jesus had his hands and feet nailed to a cross, it, it means nothing. He took it for us. He took it for you. We have to have both. There's no grace and no peace. Talking about the truth gets us nowhere. The world needs grace and peace. And when the world knows grace and when the world knows peace, when the world receives grace and when the world receives peace and possesses it, then the world can walk in the truth. You say, well, pastor, shouldn't we as Christians go about trying to change the world's behaviors? Have you ever tried to teach your dog not to be a dog? It's not going to work. You ever try to teach your cat not to be a cat? It's really not going to work. You can't look at the world and try to teach them to be something they're not. As Christians, we were once something we were not. But by God's grace, God redeemed us, saved us, set us free, forgave us, gave us a new nature, and called us sons and daughters of him. And we will spend eternity in the fellowship of God's son. And here's something that you've got to know. If your heart doesn't change, your behavior never will. It's the heart that's the heart of the matter. It's not our actions. Are there actions we don't want people to do? Oh, totally. But it's the heart that matters. And if we can get to the heart, if you can get to your own heart, watch as behavior starts to change because Jesus says where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So would you bow your heads? You guys can kill the house lights for a second. If you guys bow your heads and close your eyes, we're going to wrap this up. But Listen to me for just a minute. God told Paul that there were many people in Corinth who were his people, but they hadn't heard yet. Paul told that church that they were called to the fellowship of God's son, Jesus Christ. So are you. God loves you. Your sin separates you from God. But because of God's 
great mercy and because of the love in which he loved us, even when you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was tempted in every way, just like you and I, but was without sin. He lived a life you could not live, and then he died a death you deserved on a cross. He bore and took all the wrath, all the justice, all the punishment for your sins upon himself on the cross, bearing the wrath of God. He lived, he died, and he rose again. His resurrection shows that he was without sin. His resurrection shows that he is God incarnate. His resurrection shows he's defeated Satan, sin, hell, and death, and he is one victory over life for each and every one of us. And so through Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven, your relationship with God restored, the Spirit of God dwelling within you and everlasting life given to you, and it's given freely as a gift of grace. It's not given to you once your behavior has changed. It's given to you when you receive it in faith, and we trust God with changing behavior. So God's calling you this morning. If you're online, God's calling you this morning. Will you put your trust in Jesus? And maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ before. I want to let you know because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Scripture says whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved Finally, Jesus said, God so loved the world, he gave his son that whosoever believes won't perish but have everlasting life. If you've never given your life to Christ and today you want to put your faith in him with no one looking around, would you just around this sanctuary, raise your hand as high as you can, put it right back down, say, today I'm choosing Jesus. Today I want Christ. All right, there's a few of you. Anybody else say, today I, I, I don't know Jesus, but I need him. I'm choosing him. I want him. I want to follow him. I want to be saved. The Bible says that whosoever calls will be saved. Statistics tell us that about 85% of Christians received Jesus before the age of 18. And I just saw two little kids say, today I want Jesus. And this is, this is the time to receive Christ more than any other time because God can move and change and act on your life from today forward and you'll never be the same. For those of you who say, I've received the grace of God, I have faith in Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, please remember grace and peace. Please remember grace and peace. I've been in ministry directly for decades and indirectly for many decades. And whenever issues pop up in a church, here's what they're usually accompanied by. When drama shows up in a church, it usually is accompanied by an accuser. Someone will show up and start pointing out other people's sins when they've got a whole lot of sins to hide. God has not called us on a witch hunt, amen? God has not called us to be sin hunters, and if we're gonna hunt any sin, we need to hunt the sin within our own heart and submit it to Jesus Christ. And so if you feel prone to chase after and point out people's sins, look in the mirror. Examine your own heart. Repent, confess, Follow Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for those who've put faith in you today. We thank you for grace and peace. May we receive it. And Lord, we know when we receive grace and peace that we can in turn give it. Jesus, you tell us that you left peace with us, not peace that the world knows, but something greater. Let us inherit, walk in, and share that same peace 
with those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing one song. Myself, a few of our pastors will be right up here. If you'd like prayer while we sing, please come up. Uh, Aubrey and Matt will dismiss you in just a moment.